<laughs> Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. I'm Chris. And I'm Michael. And we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we're ready to dive in and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every youth minister has. Excellent. Awesome. So we are here, Michael and I, with our guest, Matt Rice. Hi, Matt. <laughs> uh, Michael and I are in the beautiful city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. We just spent the week doing a training recording. Yeah. Um, really, it's more of a resource as opposed to training, but it's called uh, Volunteer Institute. Michael, tell us just a little bit about that. Yeah, so the idea is we want to provide the resources to help you train your volunteers in a way that's accessible. So it's all online. Um, it's all work at your own pace. I mean, it's in bite-sized increments so they don't get overwhelmed. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I was able to do some of the content. There was one piece yesterday that we did six or seven takes. So the standard of quality, I want to let you know, is excellent. And only one of those takes was messed up because there's a fire station just outside the studio here. The rest of them were like, oh, I think we could do better. And I'm like, I know we could definitely do better. A little bit higher than the quality of our show. Oh, just a skosh. Yeah, we, I don't think we've ever done a retake except for today's intro that you yeah. Michael should do the intro and then you took it from him. So um, in regards to that, so volunteers, there's obviously uh, ways to train a volunteer institute as a way to kind of resource your volunteers to be successful. However, you need volunteers to make that a reality. It's true. So that's what we wanted to dive into today with Michael uh, and his expertise coming to the table as well. What's the pipeline look like from Joe Parishioner, Jane Parishioner, to uh, volunteer to Rockstar volunteer? Right. So basically, you just find any warm body and you put them in a room with teenagers. Uh, and a safe environment class. Mm, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. That's all you need. If you must. Um, no, I think really for us, it all starts with the vision, right? You want to be able to clearly define the vision of why your ministry exists because you want people to flock to your ministry that actually buy into that, right? Like you don't want to be having to spend all of your time with your volunteers convincing them that, hey, this is the right way to do ministry because this is how the vision aligns. And so our best tip really is to find ways to communicate that vision regularly, not just when you're looking for volunteers. Because when you're doing it just when you're looking for volunteers, it seems like a sales pitch. Sure. But if you're able to regularly communicate, hey, this is why we do ministry, and even better, if you can start sharing stories of success, right? Like if you can share stories of young people whose lives are changed through your ministry because you were able to bring them closer to Jesus, that's going to make people excited because everyone wants to be on the winning team, right? Like no one goes yep. to a, a game and see somebody losing and thinks, hey, look, I want to be on that team. This is why I showed like, up today. I wanna, I'm just going to be part of the losers. No one, no one wants that, right? Like they want to join something successful. It's also why cries of desperation don't work to fill your pipeline with volunteers because nobody wants to answer a cry of desperation. Like, please, 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 in order to do this ministry, we need seven more volunteers. And that's, that's the burden of ministry as opposed to the blessing of ministry. And right. the difference between vision and no vision is uh, we need volunteers to do tasks. Yes. That's without vision. Yep. With vision, you're part of a mission or a ministry. 
So just to dive into that a little bit deeper. So you, you that's a like a great idea, casting the vision regularly, not just whenever you're going up to to seek volunteers, but that like diving into that a little bit, how do you do that? Because it's I mean, maybe you're giving pulpit announcements four times a year and only once you're asking for volunteers. Um, but but how do you communicate that to the wider parish? in a way that people will actually like digest that information and listen. Yeah, so there's a lot of aspects to it. And one of them is marketing, right? Marketing is important. And I think when we think of marketing, we think of like creating a cool flyer. And that's, that's not what it is. It's being able to succinctly communicate the vision and the mission of your ministry in a way that people can consume. Because look, if your mission statement is four sentences long, your mission statement is not a mission statement. Right? Like your mission statement needs to motivate people. Right. And if you don't have it memorized, then no one in your parish is going to understand your ministry. Right. Like, and so the number of times we work with ministry leaders and we ask them what their, the mission of their ministry is, and they have to like go to their website to pull up the like four sentence mm-hmm. thing so they can remember it. Like that's a poorly communicated and poorly marketed mission. And so being able to come up with something that's succinct and easy to remember is part one, right? Because you want people to hear it over and over again to the point that they're sick of hearing it, right? Like you want them to immediately associate when they hear um, about your ministry, that that's the immediate tagline that comes to their mind. And so that's number one. Uh, But number two, it really is about passion and about people seeing that in you. And so any chance you get, whether it's on the pulpit or whether it's at a pancake breakfast, or if you're just talking with people after mass, if you can communicate that you're passionate about your ministry, and you're able to connect it back into the mission, like people get excited about that. Like passion is contagious. Um, and then third, it really is through young people. Uh, so if you're working with teenagers, if you're working with children, if you're working with young adults, whoever your target audience is, like they're gonna communicate the mission way better than you will because they're actually being impacted by the mission. The fruits. They're the fruit of it. And so you want them to share their stories. And so sometimes that means letting them do testimonies after mass. Sometimes that means pulling out your, your phone and recording quick little 30 second things that you can send to um, in, in their end. Like, so you can put on Instagram or you can put on Facebook or you can put on whatever. So you're just regularly communicating the success because your successes should point back to your mission. I like the multiple aspects. Like the mission isn't just communicated in the bulletin or on the website, right. but in a variety of areas, and the mission, it doesn't have to be that tagline or that sentence. It could be uh, one of the people in your ministry right. that says, this is how I was impacted. The mission is communicated in that because this, this was the goal. We reached it, you know? Absolutely. And, and I think that people are able to see themselves in others, right? Like when it's just a sentence on a piece of paper, then it's just that. But when they see a young person who has come to know Jesus through the youth ministry at your parish, right? They can either resonate with, hey, look, I was a young person once and I had a similar experience or I wish I had that experience or my son or daughter wants that experience or my niece or my nephew or grandson or whoever it is. Right. They can see themselves and they can see those they love in the stories of people way more than words on a paper. Well, and I, I'm glad we got to give them some like actual practicals because like what you're saying makes complete sense. I mean, how many people have like maybe even searched for a Facebook group, they get to that group and they see 10 people in the group. They're like, yeah, no thanks. And they just skip over that one. You you move on to the groups that have 500,000 or more people in the group because there's 
excitement there. There's momentum there. There's something happening there. Absolutely. Um, and the same thing happens for ministries. Like you, you see something awesome happening in this ministry and people are attracted to it. And if you never see that, like you're never going to get that person that, I don't know, that is drawn to the ministry. For sure. Like when you are going out to eat and you pull up at a restaurant and there's no one else in the restaurant, like you think twice <laughs> before you go in. Right. Right. Like why yep. do I want to go to a restaurant that no one else wants to eat at? Especially if you're traveling and you're like in a city you don't know, like you want to mm -hmm. go to the restaurant where there's a wait. Like as much as yep. you don't really want to wait for your food, you want to go to the restaurant where there's a wait because you know that's where people are eating because they're coming back over and over again. Mm -hmm. here's, here's a challenge. Um, it's mid-October, let's say. Okay. The fall semester has already begun and I still need a few volunteers or I have some people that show interest in volunteering, but I've already got the machine working. I, I don't know how to fit another volunteer in. How do we onboard or on-ramp uh, that interest or foster that recruitment when, when we've already got so many spinning plates? Yeah, I would say that for most people, unless you're in a very large parish community, you have to be willing to do things that don't scale. Like you have to be willing to let things either put on pause or just keep rolling so you can pay individual attention to volunteers. I think a lot of times we try to create a like automated process or something that is as like hands off because we think we're so busy. We want to make things happen easily, but you personally, Mr. Or Mrs. Youth Minister, DRE, whatever, whatever role you're in, like you need to individually onboard your volunteers mm. because a volunteer that feels like you care about them and you took the time to walk them through that process is a multi-year volunteer. A volunteer you plug into a system and a process and your hands off is a one-year volunteer. Right. And so it is totally worth your time. Even if I know there's a lot going on in the fall, I guess things are getting started. It's totally worth your time to make sure that each individual volunteer has that individual attention. And if your program gets really big, like then you add volunteers, you add people to your team who that's their focus, right? Like you add someone on your, on your team that their primary job is caring for your volunteers and onboarding new volunteers. Um, but so it is, it is about making sure that individual attention happens. It's a lot easier though in the middle of a semester if you actually know where you need the help. Right? If you just have random, random people showing up and you don't have a job for them and they end up like standing along the, the wall, right? They're not going to stay. Like no one wants to be a volunteer that holds up the wall. Like right. it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And so you actually have to take the time to determine what the needs of your ministry are so that you can fill people into those positions. And that's helpful with recruiting as well, because sure. if you're specific in the need, then people can get energetic about it. If you're just like, we need more volunteers in our ministry. Right. That's going to not drop people in, but we need volunteers to journey with people in small group. And then you might have some people, if you say we need volunteers to help with the, the, the lesson or with right. skits, you're going to get a different style of volunteer that's going to be passionate about it. Yeah. You need to be able to channel the ask to their individual skill sets because all people, and maybe that's a broad statement, but I think it's true. All people are more excited and happier when they're doing something they're good at. Like, People like to succeed. And when you're able to say, hey, look, I know that you have some excellent like drama skills. Like I know you, maybe you're the theater teacher at the high school. I really need somebody to run our skit team for our ministry. Like that's a perfect alignment, right? right? Or you are 
incredibly hospitable. You are the most joyful person I've ever met. I want to put you at the front door welcoming students because I need that person. Or you're super detail organized and I am not, which is true, I'm not. You're super detail organized. <laughs> I need somebody who's going to make sure that all that happens. Um, I want to put you in that position. So in all three of those examples, you actually didn't begin with the need. You began with their gifting. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct, but you have to know what the needs are to be able to place them. Sure. Right. Like, so you have to understand because you've already got three people standing at the front door welcoming people. You don't need to add four more, right? right. Like, and so you need to know like where the needs are at. But you're right. You have to understand the giftings, and you have to understand that there are places to put people in ministry, even if that job has never existed before. Sure. We did a, a series over in our Thrive community all about creating unique volunteer roles and the ability to understand that maybe it's not a traditional idea, but you can come up with ways for people to utilize their gifts that are going to benefit your ministry. Um, we used to have a volunteer who she used to work for a, a big theater company in, in Houston and her gift, she was a styrofoam carver. And like, Generally speaking, in ministry, I don't need somebody carving styrofoam. But what we realized is when we were preaching in series, she could create amazing backdrops that would radically transform the space. Now, she had a bunch of little children, and so she was never available to show up on a Wednesday night. But she had the ability to make a huge contribution that impacted young people by utilizing a pretty obscure gift. Like she's the only person I've ever met who was a styrofoam carver. Sure. Right. But That's awesome. that gift greatly improved our ministry. This may be a question that kind of ties into that because like creating positions sort of uh, fits to, with this. So let's say your marketing that you're doing at the parish or whatever is, is working really well. And all throughout the year, you keep getting new volunteer, new volunteer, someone that wants to be a part of the thing. Is there ever a point where you turn someone away and say, we, like, we're full, even if they're amazing? Um, or do you always just try to find a place for them to do something? I always try to find something for them, right? Like, I'm not adding small group leaders in November normally, right? Like, if my small groups yep. are set, I'm not adding small group leaders. But if we have a program, like, I've been places where the small groups continue to grow throughout the year. And so we, we always ran the model of like we'd put two adults in a small group and then when the group got too big, we would split that group into two and each adult would go with them. And so then I'd be placing new um, adults with those existing groups because you have two in every group. So sometimes there's an exception to that. But generally speaking, things that are relational, like I tr we're trying not to throw in a bunch of new adults because it confuses young people and it, like they have yep. too many things to do. But um, there's always a place and there's always a role for them. And like you would be surprised how useful it is to have volunteers to help you support your other volunteers, right? So even if maybe they're not actively um, in the service to young people, to put volunteers whose job is to take care of your volunteers, right? Not only are you having amazing volunteers because they're well cared for, but those volunteers are building relationships with your existing volunteer team. And so next year, when you do need them in a small group role or in a role, like they have a relationship with that team that makes that super seamless and super successful. Yeah, like on the job training for a volunteer Absolutely. is always possible. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love the shadowing concept. Like anytime we can put a volunteer, it is very rare, um, unless we're in a desperate situation, which again, you shouldn't be, it is very rare um, that we throw a volunteer into a role that we haven't 
trained and um, tested them in, right? And so like, I love the shadowing process. I love, if you're a new small group leader, like I want you to lead a small group with our best small group leader for a semester before we put you into your own small group. Sure. Love it. What does it look like from I'm interested to I'm in a small group? I know you mentioned some shadowing and things like that, sure. but, but even before I show up for the ministry, um, I, I've heard the appeal or I've received the invitation. What are the steps between there so that you really onboard a volunteer before they're even stepping into a ministry context? Absolutely. So we, when the invite is so important because it sets the stage for what they're going to be a part of. And so before you even get to the process to make sure in your invitation, you communicate whatever that process is because you don't want this like bait and switch moment of, Oh wait, you're going to expect all these things from me. Like sure. you really want to make sure um, you're inviting them and you're individually inviting them. Um, the first step for me is always an interview. Like I, there is no volunteer I put into a role unless I've actually sat down with them and had a conversation. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be like formal. It doesn't have to be like, come sit in my office and let's um, go over your resume. That would be weird. Um, but it is, Hey, let's go to coffee. Let's go have lunch. Or I guess these days let's talk virtually. Um, but it is really about having that conversation. So you know who they are one to make sure you're protecting your young people that you're not putting crazy people um, in with your young people Two, that they understand and, and are bought into the mission and vision of your ministry. Cause again, you don't want that to be a constant battle. Right. Um, and number three, so you know who they are, so you know how to place them and where to put them. Right. And so we always do an interview and then following the interview, there's always an application. We have them fill out an actual form um, that we use that tells us not only about who they are, but what their gifts are, but we get references. Um, and we, it's, it's a job, even if it's not paid, it's a job. Like we want to make sure we are setting a high bar for our volunteers. Um, and then after that, there's always whatever the safe environment, whatever the background check, all those other like tools or, or, or processes your diocese puts in place to protect young people. So we make sure all of that happens. Um, and really like, we're just focused on how do we prepare them and set them up for success and for the win. Um, and so let's be honest, if you've ever been through any of those safe environment trainings, they're miserable. And like, no one, no one comes out of one of those thinking, man, I'm so excited to do ministry. I'm so glad I volunteered. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm in. It's like, I'm suspect now, right? That's yeah. kind of how people walk away it feeling is. from some. Yeah. And so it's why the, the individual handholding is important because we want them to feel like they're being accompanied through this process. And we want them to feel like it's okay for you to tell me, Hey, that made me really worried about doing this. Yeah. Or like, that was a real downer. Like you want them to have that space, have that communication. And so we take them through that process. And so we do regular check-in um, as we kind of go through this process. It's kind of lengthy because I believe it's important um, to take the time to onboard volunteers the right way. So one of the pieces you talked about was an application, a volunteer yes. application. And uh, I've heard, I've heard some people call it like the volunteer covenant, yes. right? D different things like that. I think that it's amazing because it, it allows them to not just commit to being kind of a formalized part of the ministry, but also some of the standards of a ministry leader yes. for that ministry. And so I've put in there that, that the youth will become, in a youth ministry context, that the youth will become a priority uh, on, on Wednesday evenings or Sunday evenings, whenever the meeting is, but also in my prayer time, right? That this sure. is something I'm aware that, uh, that, that consistency will lead to the success, not only of my role, but also of, of the ministry as a whole. 
some of those pieces in there to help them understand expectations in a way that they're going to put their name at the bottom of it. Absolutely. And it's not terms and conditions where you just check a box after scrolling real quick, but they, they need to be really accessible. You shouldn't have a 12 page application, right? Maybe a two page application kind of just explains some of the, the pieces and really adds a formal reality to volunteering. And we actually separate those in, into two different documents because of that. Like okay. we don't, we don't want there to be this like, I would just scroll through or flip through and sign. So like we do the application first and then we take the time to in, in this onboarding process, communicate all of the things that are on that covenant expectations and, and yeah. then give that to them at the, at the end of this process before they start working with young people. Um, because I don't want, again, I'm really concerned about the bait and switch. Like I don't want them to feel like um, they're getting into something they don't know because again, even though it takes longer to go through this multi-step process, if it results in a volunteer that lasts four, five, 10 years, it is totally worth all the extra upfront time. And it's better to lose a volunteer. For sure. In that process for to whether sure. like, this is actually more than I can handle. Yes. Than, than them being a month and a half in with a small group. Yes. And then realizing this is more than I can handle and they walk away. That yeah. is not good for that. I want, I want you to quit before you start. Amen. Way more than I want you to quit mm -hmm. two months in. Um, yep. So yeah, so we take them through that process. They go through safe environment. Um, we do some sort of like basics in youth ministry training. We just want them to understand what youth ministry is. Like, I don't need you to be an expert in youth ministry, but especially if you don't have any youth ministry background, you weren't involved in ministry. We want you to understand what it is because the average adult, really has no idea, A, what youth ministry is, and B, how to talk to a teenager. Um, and so like we want, we want to equip them. We want them to be ready through that process. Now, how is that done if it's mid-year? Because I assume that that basic might be a half-day kind of all-volunteer sure. training. But then what about those who might have missed the, uh, the mainstream funnel for that? So truthfully, in an ideal world, it is you sitting down one-on-one -on -one communicating this with them. Great. That's harder to do. And that's not necessarily how we are able to do it every time. Right. Um, but we also use online tools to do training and formation so that they can be part of that process. And so like you talked about at the beginning, um, this volunteer Institute resource we're working on and that's launching real soon. We're taking this process that we used to do in an individual parish level and providing that resource so that other parishes across the country can take their volunteers through a similar process. Right. Um, all right, so we go through that and then we do a check-in period. We want to have them have the opportunity to say I'm out. Like I want, I want a continual yes. I think we often assume that if they don't quit, that they're in. Mm. And I don't want that. Like I want a required opt-in. Yeah. Like I want you to say, yes, I'm still excited. I still want to do this yeah. every step of the way because I don't want lackluster volunteers. Right. Like I want volunteers who come in passionate and excited about it. And so then after that, the last sort of phase of this is what we call specific training. And so like, if you're going to be a small group leader, we're going to take you through small group leader training, right? If you're going to be on the worship team, we're going to take you through worship leader training, or we're going to take you through a specific training based on whatever ministry you're in, right? Because if you're serving dinner, if you're on like our, our meal team, you don't need to go through small group leader training sure. because you're not leading a small group. Sure. And so we want to respect their time and give them training that's relevant to what they're doing and then, like we said before, ideally shadowing them with somebody where they're able to actually see 
this in practice and not just look at a piece of paper or watch a video. So ministry leaders are busy. The shadowing aspect also gives the new volunteer someone else to ask questions. Yes. To. And that is, that is huge. That is a moment in ministry that I remember very clearly where I realized that, oh my gosh, we've hit a new threshold. Yep. When, when the, the new leaders were like, okay, what do we do with this? Or what, is, what does this mean? And all of a sudden other people were saying, this is what this means. And they were stepping in. It was also a neat thing because the veteran volunteers had shown this sense of ownership. This isn't just the parish's program. This is my ministry. This right. is my program. And I love it when people say that. And yes, all ministry comes from God. It's an extension from the pastor, yada, yada, yada. But when they get up and say, I am involved, my ministry is, you know yeah. that they have ownership. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing, especially when they start bringing other people into that, recruiting right. volunteers or forming other volunteers is magnificent. Yeah. And when they have this mentality, these are my teens, right? Like, like, and so I want what's best for them. So I want to make sure all the volunteers working alongside me are actually have the best interests of young people at heart yes. as well. Um, and I don't know if we said this before, but really the best recruiter of volunteers are other volunteers. Existing volunteers. Right. Like they know that it's my job to recruit volunteers. Like they're not stupid. Like they understand if I'm the youth minister that like my job is to recruit volunteers. And so it's really easy to dismiss my invitation. But when I have existing volunteers who are able to share about how much being a part of this ministry has transformed their lives, right? Then we start seeing a huge explosion of volunteers. It also is really helpful if you're able to lean into some of the more untraditional volunteers. Like we, we had a volunteer who um, was in his 80s. Right. And so like he doesn't fit that like normal youth ministry model of volunteers. He, he could only weather one game of dodgeball. That's and that, it. That would be it. <laughs> but man, once he got one good. Anyway, but um, we were able he was able to communicate the passion of the ministry to a very different audience of people that wouldn't take me seriously. Sure. And so not only did that lead to us having more volunteers, let's be honest, most of the donors at the church are the older parishioners. Mm -hmm. And so it led us to have a scholarship fund and different funding that we would have never had because he's out there talking about how awesome all these 15 year olds are. An ambassador. Um, he's an ambassador. And so like the more you can lean into that, the better. So quick note to all of our volunteers that are listening, talk to your friends, get your friends to volunteer for whatever ministry you're a part of, be an advocate for that. So don't, again, don't pass the buck to the ministry leader. Absolutely. We need you to, to recruit for them. And selfishly for you, like you want to be surrounded by people you like on your volunteer yeah, team. Like you want to serve right. with other people you like. And so build recruit that your friends. Recruit your friends. Yeah. Think about the people that you want to be um, surrounded with every week and invite those people. One ministry leader I know would actually put that into the yearly expectations. You're going to show up to, to these sessions yep. and all that. But each year you need to recruit one person. And it wasn't recruit your replacement, regardless of whether or not you were staying or going, right. recruit one person to join the team. And, and to set that expectation from the get-go, yep. really sets the standard of start to think, what are the needs, what are the skills, and who are the people I know that would really help round out this ministry to continue to excellence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. So, Michael, um, tell us, I mean, we, we, we've had you on the show before, but tell us just a little bit about who you are, what you do, and uh, how people can get a hold of you. Absolutely. So I am one of the founders of an organization called Project YM. 
um, which really exists to help Catholic youth ministers thrive. And so we provide all kinds of support, training, and resources to really just equip youth ministry leaders. We want to make sure that their ministry is successful because we believe in the importance of investing in the young church. And so you can find out more about us at projectym.com, but really the best thing for you to do right now is a lot of the stuff we talked about today and a bunch of other resources about how to recruit, train, and support your volunteers can be found at projectym.com slash volunteers. And there's tons of free resources on there, um, as well as some additional things that are really going to take your volunteer game to the next level. And a lot of those resources might seem youth ministry focused, but they're concepts that are applicable to any ministry. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, let's continue the conversation online. Matt, this is your. So I, I, I didn't know if I, I know, but I didn't know if I was doing the outro We're too. Doing the outro. Michael was our guest. Let's do the outro. He does All right. Job for us. So please send any feedback to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders, to thank a volunteer, and to ask someone else in the pew to join a ministry that you're involved in. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you.